This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Happy New Year, and thank you for braving the icy roads from Amherstburg and Kingsville and various parts of Windsor, Ontario. Um, I'm tempted to say something to honor my sister who lives in Edmonton and my brother-in-law who lives in Regina. They've been suffering under a bit, the temperatures have been a bit cooler out there than they have been here. And I like to rub that in whenever I call them or see them. I like to remind them that we live in the banana belt of Canada. (laughs) I think they screen my calls now. Well, today is the first Sunday of the new year And uh, we welcome you this morning. If you're listening online, welcome also. Good to have you with us. We're starting a brand new series of sermons called Real Questions. We are going to attempt to answer some of the very real and some of the very honest questions that may be bouncing around in your heart these days, especially after Christmas. You know, January and February are typically low months emotionally for many of us, and so we're going to try and answer some of those questions that may be uh, residual after Christmas. Today, we're talking about change and uh, the changes that we want to make. How do we change? How do we get in line with what God has in store for us? In the new year, we want to make some changes at home, at work, uh, in our walk with God. And many of you in the marketplace are subject to uh, annual performance reviews, right? How we love those annual performance reviews. (laughs) That dreaded conversation with your boss probably causes a loss of sleep for a few days before it actually happens. Uh, And of course, some evaluations are more more challenging than others, aren't they? I remember one such staff evaluation that took place uh, 10 or 12 years ago in which we asked the question, what would you most like to change about yourself? If there's something that you could change about you, what would that be? That was a hard question. (laughs) I still think it's a hard question, but how would you answer that question if you had to give an answer today? What would you say is the one thing or one of the things that you'd like to change most about your life? What would it be? You want to change your weight? You want to change your looks? You want to change your grades? You want to read more? Pray more, love more, learn more. What kind of change you want to make? Every January, many of us are thinking about new goals, right? New targets, new objectives, new ideas. Why? Not just because we're locked into this idea of New Year's resolutions, although that's probably part of it. Rather, I think it's because we want to see progress in our lives. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want 2022 to be the same as 2021. God forbid. You know, let's see some progress here. Let's see some movement, some change, not just in our culture, not just in the way we respond to a pandemic, but how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. We're more than ready for something new and fresh in 2022, right? So bring it on. Let's go. In Genesis 32, the passage that Ron read for us a moment ago, we we discover how God changed Jacob from the inside out. And and that story really is helpful in understanding how God 
shapes people like us to become more and more like Jesus. Way back in Genesis 27, Jacob swindled his brother Esau out of his birthright. You remember the story? Obviously, it was alluded to in our scripture reading this morning. Jacob was dishonest in the way he dealt with his brother Esau. And Esau became very angry when he realized that Jacob had swindled him out of his birthright or out of his inheritance. And so Jacob ran away. Esau was a much larger, tougher guy. And uh, he, Jacob felt absolutely threatened. So he, he ran away. He left and he stayed away for a very long time. But now, years later, Jacob is preparing to return and meet with his brother Esau. He's, he's tired of the distance between them. 20 years is enough to be estranged from your family. He wants to make things right. He wants to reconcile with his brother. But he's afraid of what Esau might do. <laughs> so as Genesis 32 opens, Jacob hears that Esau is on his way to this meeting. But, but Esau has 400 men to him. And, and that's a bit of a concern. <laughs> I mean, who goes to a family reconciliation meeting with 400 bodyguards? Well, Esau. Verse 7 says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed when he found out that Esau was coming with 400 men. Oh, so that night, Jacob cries out to God. And that is instructive in and of itself, right? Jacob cries out to God, verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. A little bit later, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. So Jacob takes his two wives, his two female servants, and all of his 11 children, takes them across the river Jabbok, so they're, they're safe on the other side. And now he's alone. According to verse 24, he's alone. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. That's a euphemism. It, he dislocated his hip. Ron was right in his commentary. Very, very painful. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So the unexpected and sudden introduction of the man, this unidentified, unnamed man who wrestles in the dark with Jacob all night long, is, is an interesting twist to the story. By the time the contest ends... Jacob is convinced that this man was actually God himself. Uncommon, but not completely, because God himself also appeared to Abraham. But what does a wrestling match with God have to do with us? I mean, after all, it is 2022. So what does an Old Testament wrestling match with God have to do with us? and the changes that we might want to make in the year ahead? Well, thank you for asking that question. Genesis 32 actually reveals some of the elements that God uses to mold us and shape us into the people He wants us to be. 
And the first element of change has to do with crisis. Crisis. Verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So now by, by day, daybreak, Jacob is getting very tired. He's been struggling all night long, wrestling with this man, and, and he could not win. It was, a, it was a situation that was beyond his control. I mean, there's nothing he could do. None of his wrestling moves seemed to work on this man. In fact, a man had obviously gotten a one-up on him. He dislocated his hip, but he still kept, he kept at it. He kept wrestling, and, and it was a situation that was completely and totally unmanageable. And that usually spells crisis, doesn't it? That's what a crisis is. It's a situation that's out of your control and unmanageable. I just read an article last week that the word crisis was used in the House of Commons in Ottawa this year 1,747 times. Those agencies or organizations that actually decipher these statistics, and you really need a life if, you, if you're counting the number of times the word crisis is used in the House of Commons, but it's the second highest total for a single year in the past 28 years. Seems to me that 2021 was a bit of a crisis year for our great nation. And when God wants to change us or he wants to change a country, he often starts by placing us into a situation that is completely beyond our control and unmanageable. It's frustrating or demanding, challenging situation that is beyond our control. He wants to remind us who's in control. And it ain't us. That's for sure. So it may be discouraging or disappointing or even depressing. But God will use a crisis or a disaster for his own glory and for our good, just like he did with Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. Some of you may be in crisis as you sit here in church this morning. I mean, you're, physically you're here, your body is here, but your mind is elsewhere because you're dealing with a crisis. Am I right? I read an article, interesting article last week about eagles and how they develop physically. Until baby eagles learn to fly, they are completely, totally dependent on their parents for everything. Sounds like your kids, Rosanna. Completely, totally dependent. That's why moms get so tired. <laughs> but until baby eagles learn to fly, they, they depend on their parents for everything. But at some point, the mother eagle will actually take a, a bit of the, the nest in her beak, her sharp beak, and she'll just shake it violently. And she does this rather frequently to, to, to get the eaglets moving, to get them stirring, to get them doing something, to get them going somewhere. You know, it's like turning off the internet and saying, you're, you're, you're grounded. You cannot be on the internet for a, a whole month. You're trying to stir them up, right? Get them moving, get them outside. <laughs> I'm getting in trouble. Uh, but she keeps pressing them in the development. The baby eagle's first flight away from the nest occurs somewhere between 7 and 10 weeks of age. And, the article said, if the young ones are resistant to that first flight, the mother eagle simply pushes them out of the nest. <laughs> she just pushes them out. It's fly or die, baby. Fly or die. She creates a crisis of decision for those baby eaglets. 
I think God does the same thing in our lives. Periodically, he stirs up the nest for our own good and our own development to get us moving and turning in a different direction, making us hungry and eager for what he has to teach us. He makes the comfortable uncomfortable. He brings us to the point of crisis, if that's what it takes, because he knows what's best and he wants us to to grow up in our salvation and learn how to soar. And if you resist, he may give you a little push from time to time. We usually do not change until the fear of change is exceeded by the pain we're experiencing. It's true. We usually don't change until our fear of change is exceeded by the pain that we're experiencing due to the crisis that God allowed into our lives. So if you're facing a crisis today, take heart. It could mean that God is at work doing something new and something fresh in your life. Be patient. Don't rush it. Let the crisis do its best work in your heart. A second element that God uses to change us and mold us into the people he wants us to be is the element of commitment. In verse 26, the man who's wrestling with Jacob says, Let me go, for the day has broken. Jacob says, There's no way. No, sir, I am not letting you go. I will not let you go unless or until you bless me. So he's, he's committed. His hip is already dislocated, but he's hanging on for dear life. He, he, he would not let go. He stayed with it until the Lord granted this blessing. And I'm just thinking back in my own life, you know, as I'm, as I'm uh, preaching this morning and thinking that after God gets our attention with a problem or a dilemma or a crisis, he doesn't always solve it immediately. The answer to prayer doesn't always come immediately. Sometimes we have to wrestle with it all night long. And and he often waits to see if we really mean business, if we're really serious about this, if we're going to be obedient to God. He wants to see how how, how, how committed we really are. And I think many Christian people just miss out on God's best because they give up too soon. Just give up too soon. They throw in the towel too soon, too early. They quit. They walk out. They they leave. We're so conditioned to having instant everything. Isn't that right? It just... just Thank you, Amazon, and thank you, Internet. It just... Next day service. Two days at the most, or we give it to you for free. We're so conditioned in our culture to instant everything, but it doesn't work that way when it comes to walking with God. There is a, there is a, a, a season of commitment. We need to walk out that commitment and show the Lord that we're serious about this. So where might God be calling you to a deeper commitment these days? To your family? Is God calling you to a deeper commitment to your family, to your church, maybe to your life group? Is God calling you to read the Bible more, pray more, give more? 
Your personal crisis may actually be designed by God himself to lead you into a deeper commitment in some area of your life, at work, at home, or in the church. It really may be part of God's plan. Crisis can lead to commitment. It often does when we realize that it's really God stirring the nest. And then commitment often leads to confession. God uses confession to change us also. It's it's an element of change that he used in, in Jacob's life and one that he often uses in our lives as well. Jacob will not let go of the man he's wrestling with. That's what the text says until he receives this blessing. So the man says to Jacob, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. Then he said, your, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but, but Israel. For you have striven with God. You've struggled with God. You've wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then verse 29, Jacob said to him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. What's your name? He asks. Jacob. My name is Jacob. Okay, it's Jacob. I'm Jacob. What was the purpose of this man's question? Did did he really not know that Jacob's name was Jacob? Really? (laughs) I think he knew. I believe the purpose was to get Jacob to acknowledge his character by stating his name. Jacob means cheater, deceiver, schemer. So when he asks, what's your name, he's, he's, drawing, he's drawing Jacob out to actually admit, to actually confess who he really is. The question was meant to jog Jacob's memory of how he had cheated, how he had schemed, how he had deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright. And so when the angel asked his name, he's asking, what are you really like, Jacob, when nobody's watching When the lights are out and you're all by yourself, what are you really like, Jacob? We have to come to the painful place of acknowledging who we really are before any real permanent change can occur. We have to. Too many of us skirt the issues. We pretend we are someone else so we can skate on the change that God wants to make in our lives. Jacob made his confession right then and there. He said, I'm I'm a cheater. I'm a schemer. I'm a liar. He, He admitted who he was just by stating his name. You don't get that at first read, do you? But that's the intent of the text. And right then and there, too, God declares the the, the change that he's going to make. Your your name is no longer going to be Jacob, but, but Israel, which means striving with God. Because you've striven with God, you've wrestled with him, you've struggled with him. So that's your new name. That's your new identity. The renaming of Jacob brings to a climax a lifetime of struggling with others. And, and it all starts when he fully confesses uh, to, to this man who he really is. I'm Jacob the deceiver. 
See, no change can ever take place in our lives until we are ready to admit that there's a problem. If we continue to deny there's a problem, no change is ever going to happen. We, we deny that we're sinful. We deny that we have character flaws. We deny, we deny, we deny. And change can't happen in an environment like that. My, my mother was a, a devoted alcoholic for most of her adult life. And I remember vividly the, the first time that she nearly died of liver disease, cirrhosis of the liver. She was in the hospital for a very long time. And the doctor told her when she was uh, released that if she starts drinking again, she will die. It will kill her. But she continued to deny that she had a problem. And in her recovery, one evening she invited me to her tiny little basement apartment and cooked dinner and we were eating dinner. And over the course of our dinner, she was up and down from the table three times getting a little glass of milk from the fridge. She said, it, it helps to soothe my stomach. But the third time she got up, I got up took a step, that's how close the fridge was, and pulled the refrigerator door open to find her pouring vodka into a glass of milk. She was mixing milk with vodka, and when I confronted her, she told me another lie. She told me that the doctor said it was okay for her to drink just a little bit in moderation, as long as she spread it out over the day. My mother was an alcoholic who would not ask for help, would not recognize that she had a problem. And I buried her in my last year in high school when she was just 43 years of age. No change ever takes place in the life of a person who denies they have problems. So what's your problem? Are you struggling with an addiction that no one knows about? What's that about? You have anger issues? Your spouse knows about it. Why don't you just fess up? You're addicted to pornography? You lie to your family, you lie to your boss, you lie to your teacher. Have you stopped reading your Bible? You don't pray anymore? What's your problem? What needs to change in the year ahead? Who wants to do 2021 all over again? None of us. So let's press ahead to change. And the place to start is with confession. Acknowledge your problem to God. Start fresh. Start brand new. Whatever it is, confess your sin. If we confess our sins, the Bible promises that God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because authentic confession leads to genuine forgiveness every time. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. See, God wants to make changes in our lives in the year ahead, and he will use crisis, and he will use commitment, and he will use confession, but he might also use cooperation. That's another element of change that we see in, in Jacob's experience. 
God uses our cooperation with him to complete the change that he wants to make. Verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. So things are changing because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So Jacob called the place Peniel, Elohim, El Shaddai. The last two letters of that word refer to God, Peniel, saying it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. So Peniel means face to face, the face of God. Jacob has a close and personal encounter with God in this place that can only be described in human terms as being face to face. It was just, it was that personal, it was that intimate, it was like a face to face encounter with God. I don't know, maybe he saw a vision of the glory of God. We're not sure. But whatever it was, it was like like he'd seen the face of God. He was face to face with God. And that kind of deep, personal, intimate contact with God is going to change you. And if it doesn't, you should check your pulse. You might not have one. God began a new work in Jacob's life the moment he admitted who he was and, 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 and began to cooperate with God's plan. Jacob struggled with God, and I think that's a picture of our sanctification. It's an illustration of, of how God continues to change us from the time that we're justified. We enter into this process of sanctification, of being set apart by God, being made holy by God. We struggle and we pray and we wrestle and we work not for salvation, but because of salvation. That's our glorious privilege. Have a look at Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So these verses really call us to cooperate with God. We're called to work out the salvation that God has worked in. We work and God works in us at the same time. Theologians refer to this activity as synergism where the, the, the divine sovereignty of God comes uh, right alongside of free human agency, and they work together. God requires us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in order to bring about the changes that he wants to make in the year ahead, and only you know what those changes are. The grace that saves us from sin also trains us to cooperate with grace in the cultivation of our life with God. And it's January 2nd, first Sunday of the new year. It's the time for the annual ritual of New Year's resolutions that are fueled by the the hope of immediate and significant personal life change. But the reality is, the reality is very few smokers will quit smoking because of a single moment of resolve. Very few people will who are overweight become slim and healthy because of a breathtaking moment of commitment. Not a single marriage has been re-energized by means of one dramatic momentary decision. The transforming grace of God does not work that way. It's it's much more of an ordinary, everyday, repetitive process than it is a, a series of spectacular, dramatic moments. Do you believe that? It's just how God works. Change takes place moment by moment, day after day, week after week, month after month. 
It's a progressive, repetitive process. And how does it, what makes that change possible? Nothing but the relentless, transforming, renovating, little, little moment grace. I call it little moment grace. Grace that's available for the little moments, the little decisions, not always the big decisions. Our lives are not determined by the three or four grand decisions that we will make in our lives, but rather by the, the daily 10,000 little decisions that we have to, 10,000 little moments along the way. That's what changed. That's where God works. And we can do nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. We need Him desperately. And as we cooperate with Him, change happens. So let's go back to that question that we started with. What's the one thing about you that you'd like to see changed in the year ahead? If you could change one thing about you, what would it be? Maybe it's a habit or a weakness or an attitude or a negative spirit. And maybe the situation is completely beyond your control and unmanageable. That's a good thing. It will remind you that God is the one who's in control. What is it that you want God to change for you in the year ahead? He can change us. And he will change us. But he will do so in his own time. He will probably use some of these elements. Crisis. Commitment. Confession. And cooperation. You can, I think you can count on that. So, question is, are you ready? <laughs> are you ready for change? Are you willing for it to happen? <laughs>